The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119, verses 89 to 91. While you're turning there, as the people looked out into the horizon and they saw the ominous clouds continuing to move in and they begin to feel tiny bits of rain beginning to hit their faces. One child actually looks up at her parents looking for some kind of sign of reassurance that everything is going to be okay, but she received none. The winds, they begin and they and they closed the door of the community shelter as the powerful gusts hit trees, bending them to the point of anticipated, the anticipated crack of a snapping tree. The waves begin to push into the homes of the community as they helplessly stand by, watching paralyzed with their fingers crossed. All the homes are now in the midst of a flood, and the foundations are now be, are beginning to be exposed as the wind begins the shaking processes. One house full of technological advancements actually upends and crashes with a mighty crash with one gigantic gust of wind that hits it. And everyone could now see the foundations of this house. One of the foundation was called Mind Over Matter. The other foundation was called God was made in man's image. Just then another house full of all forms of licentiousness comes crashing down, exposing some of its foundations. One of its foundations was called the lust of the eyes. The other one was called, if it feels good, do it. Then another house goes on exposing its foundations. And this foundation was called, he who has the gold makes the rules. The other foundation is called, God is dead. The other foundation is called survival of the fittest. And more foundations are exposed as houses continue to crash. And one of the foundations is called the cancel culture. The other foundation is called Money Solves Everything. And the last foundation that everyone saw was the foundation called Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. The next day, the elders of the village surveyed the damage. And they were baffled because some of the houses were still standing. And they were standing strong. And so they went over to the houses and they took a closer look at the foundation of this house. And they saw that their foundations were called something different. He looks at one foundation and it's called no other gods before me. Then they look at another foundation and it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Another foundation says it is by grace you have been saved. Another foundation says Jesus died for our sins. Another foundation says I can do all things through Christ. Another foundation says God so loved the world. Another foundation says there is now no condemnation. Another foundation says Jesus wept. Another foundation says life and life more abundant. One says we are healed. And the last one they looked at, it said, Lo, I am with you always. Houses built on the rock, the rock of God's word. And how are we building our houses today? Are we building our houses, our life, on the word of God? Or are we building our houses on the ideologies and philosophies of this world? The things that we see on TV, the message that we get from the popular movies today, the things that we actually are getting from the daytime TV shows. What are we building our our lives on? What will be our foundation? The word of God is more than just a good foundation for us. The word of God is there to show how we are to love our God, right? Because we're supposed to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds. And this is an important thing. I I talked a little bit about it. I won't go as long as I did last week (laughs) on this, but I want to make sure I reiterate this, how important it is that a lot of times when we think about, we take a look and we survey our culture and we look at Christianity and the church within our culture today and the difficulties that we're faced with, a lot of us are preoccupied when we hear things like there is a great immorality in the church today. But when you hear that, you think, oh, okay, well, they're talking about an immorality within the body of Christ today. Well, there's got to be talking about a couple of things. Our minds quickly go to a couple of things. Number one, it's got to be some kind of sexual sin. You know, if this church is falling, it's because, you know, the pastor, you know, it has an inappropriate uh, relationship with the, the church secretary. So that's the, that's the immorality of it. And, and in real life, the pastor does have a relationship with the church secretary here at this church. <laughs> it's not inappropriate, though. <laughs> or they think, wow, there's immorality happening at that church. It's got to be some kind of money embezzlement thing. You know, there's some kind of a money thing. So it's either a sexual thing or a money thing, you know, or some kind of, you know, cultic thing or some kind of strange thing when we think of the immorality of the church. But one of the things that we don't think about that I say and have been saying for many years, the great immorality that we see in the church today, in modern evangelicalism, in our culture today, the great immorality in the church is our ignorance. And here's the issue. The issue is, is like I said last week, 
a lot of times we make fun of this stuff. People go out and they do surveys and they ask questions, you know, who, who was the guy that was swallowed by the big fish? You know, who was the guy that was in the ark? All the, all the biblical questions. And, and, and everyone, we hear the statistics of this and the answers that people give at these church Christian conferences and all this stuff. And they, it turns out to be like a joke. People will joke about it. People will laugh about the answers that they give. And people will be like, hey, well, you know, uh, you know that, that's just that people just don't understand they don't know and, and there's so many there's so much biblical illiteracy in the church and we think it's funny but the reality is this is the great sin of our church because how are we supposed to be loving God with all of our minds if we don't even know his word the Bible was very, very clear. Jesus made it very, very clear. If you are truly my disciple, you will abide in my word. You can't be a true disciple of Christ and be biblically illiterate. It's not possible. And this is the, this is the thing that's going to shock people, I think, is just how ignorant we are in the church today and just how much that's affecting society today. And not only that, but how surprised many of us are going to be when we stand before Christ and we're being judged for it. Oh yeah, I said it before, I'll say it again. For many of us, we can rattle off five Avengers from the movie, The Avengers. We can rattle off five of them before we can rattle off five of the disciples of Christ. It's an issue. It's a problem. You know that when Jesus was faced with his opponents, his enemies came at Jesus. Jesus' response to them was, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Friends of Christ know the scriptures. The enemies of Christ do not know the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God. Ignorance of the scriptures show that we are not loving our God. And here's the trick. Here's the question you gotta ask. If you ever find yourself putting the Bible on trial where you're looking at the Bible and you're going, I'm not sure the Bible is correct here. I got to call Pastor Shane and get Pastor Shane to help me understand this. Then the Bible is not your foundation. The culture is. It's the culture that should be judged in light of the scriptures. There will be a great crash. So let's take a look at our scripture today. Psalm chapter 119 verses 89 to 91, Psalm 119, 89 to 91. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm in heaven. Your faithfulness extends to every generation as enduring as the earth you created. Your regulations remain true to this day for everything serves your plans. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it forever be a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today, if you're taking notes, is the incomprehensible eternal nature of the very breath of God. The second thing we're going to look at today 
is the continued faithfulness of our great God. And the last thing we're going to see is the plan of God to bring salvation to his fallen creatures for, the, for his glory forevermore. So the thesis statement today is this. The thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world may cause us to lose sight of the real value of the word of God, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to see that the word of God made flesh is more than what we would understand as wonderful. Okay, so point number one, the eternal word, heaven and earth will pass away. One of my favorite scriptures of all time, heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will remain forever. There's, the, there's an eternal aspect to that. You know, I, I joke with you guys all the time about, you know, we go to heaven and, and we've been in heaven for like a hundred trillion years. We forgot that there was even such a thing as the earth Many of us might not even remember who we were married to when we don't even remember what church we went to. We won't, we won't you won't, let's say we don't even remember all of this stuff. This is a hundred trillion years from now and you don't remember that. There is one thing that I'm trying to explain to everybody <laughs> that we are, um, that we are, what, what was I talking about? Sorry, I got distracted there for a minute. Um, this, what, what's up with the distractions today? <laughs> uh, um, oh, yeah. So trillion years from now, the one thing we are not going to forget is the scripture that we read today. That word is always going to be there. That word is always going to be with us. Even if heaven, even if heaven and earth passes away, it's all, um, even if heaven and earth passes away, it's, uh, it's going to remain. Hey, can uh, somebody help with that? Um, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he wrote this. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays a hold of me. Uh, hey, where's, where's our ushers? Are they all gone? Um, okay. The Mar our great reformer Martin Luther, he wrote, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. The Bible is not antique or modern. It is eternal. I love that. And, and the idea of the Bible being referred to as eternal is a huge thing for us. It's an important aspect to remember. Anytime we're in a situation where we're starting to doubt, anytime we're in a situation where we're starting to wonder, we don't know what's going on, we don't know what's happening, we're starting to panic, things around us are starting to fall, the winds and waves are, of life are starting to hit, and we just don't know. The one thing we always got to remember is God's word is eternal. 
And that's going to help us because, a couple of things here, it's the essence of what our psalmist declares here. It seems that scholars are pointing to the unchangeable nature of what we are to understand as eternal. So when you say something like eternal, there's so many things that come with the eternal. We get the picture of the word of God being settled in this. The idea comes from the fixed in heaven. That's what it says. The word of God is fixed in heaven. We live in a world that is continuously and constantly in flux. Everything is always changing. There is something so comforting about things that don't change. Now, I know. I know many of us are thinking, you know, hey, Shane, I get that whole thing about the unchanging thing, but my husband, my wife needs to change. (laughs) And I know that there are things. Things that are happening in our country needs to change. Things that are happening over, you know, over there across the street at the park, those things need to change. All these things, I know that there, for many things, change is needed, change is required. But man, let me tell you something. Sometimes there are things that we just don't want to change. There are certain things we just don't want to see change. We just, there's just something comforting about the idea that some things stay the same. Now, I don't know about you guys, especially when it's cold, I love egg drop soup. Now, that's one of the things in life, and I know some of y'all don't like egg drop soup, you guys get wonton soup instead, I get that. But egg drop, I, I get it, all right, I get it. But the one thing about egg drop soup that I always liked is that thing never changes. It doesn't matter where you eat it. You eat it in Denver, you eat it in Hawaii, you eat it in Europe. It all tastes the same. And it's always the same, especially when it's cold. I love it, it's cold. You know, it it tastes the same. It it helps warm me up inside and all this stuff. And, And it was just a comforting thing till I went to the Chinese restaurant that's over there, right across the street. Me and Janine are eating the egg drop soup and we're like, what is that? There's something crunchy in it. I was worried for a second. And then I'm looking and I go, there's corn in it. Why are you putting corn in egg drop soup? It's like, it's like when you find out that your aunt puts corn in spaghetti. Right? If you guys put corn in your spaghetti, Stop. Just stop already. Thank you. You know, why are we changing stuff? Why are we changing stuff? You know, it's like, it's like my kids every once in a while. Hey, Dad, can you help me with math? I got this math problem that you're doing, and we're supposed to do it like this, and we're supposed to do it this way, and I'm just like, I've never heard of it that way. Why are you doing that? Who told you to do that? Oh, the teacher's doing this. And it's just like, okay, there's a teacher, I get it. But the question that goes into my head is, what about the number two changed over the last couple of years that we got to change math? Some things just don't need to be changed. And, the re- and I thought about this for a while. It's like, what is it about things that don't change what is it about it that we, we love about it? What, what is it that makes us feel good about that? There is so much comfort in the word dependable. Isn't there? 
I love that word dependable. Dependable. That we can have things in our life that we can say these things are dependable. It's good. It's wonderful to know that there are people in our lives that we can say we can depend on. I love that. It's a great thing. I mean, just sit there and think just for a second. Who are the people in the world that you can say, I can depend on them? I can depend on this person. I can depend on that person. I can depend on this person, Luke. Yes, that, that we can depend on. It's always nice. Dependable, dependable things. And here our psalmist is affirming this wonderful nature of the eternal word of God, the eternal settled nature of the word of God. What he's essentially saying here is the word of God is eternally dependable. Forever, you will always be able to depend on God's word. Huge, huge, I see. And I can totally see it. We can see how we can rest on that. I mean, it's just one of those moments where it's just kind of like you can sit back, take a deep breath. God is dependable. That's right, God is dependable. And just, God fulfills his word. I don't understand what's happening right now, but I do know that God is in control. God is dependable. Man, a load just falls off the shoulder, doesn't it? We need to trust the word of God. We need to not be ashamed of the word of God. We need to not take our cues from the world, but take our cues from the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away and the word of God will still be dependable. It will still be reliable. It is settled. It will never change. It's never going to go out of style. Oh, but the skeptic will come and say, um, Shane, uh, that's not true. The Bible's been changed many, many times over the years. I get that a lot. And my response is always, dude, stop watching the Discovery Channel. Stop getting your information from the History Channel. Do you guys realize how absolutely impossible it is for you to change the word of God? Well, number one, it's impossible because God's going to defend the word of God. That's going to happen. Oh, but some of us, we maybe need a, just a little bit more than just that. That should be enough, but we need a little bit more than just that. This was the beauty of the thing that happened in the first century church. You remember that thing called persecution? Persecution happened to the early church. They were starting to imprison. They were starting to torture. They were starting to kill certain Christians. And so when the authorities would come, Christians, they were, you know, they were being persecuted. So they had to move on. And so out of, out of Israel and Jerusalem, they were starting to move out of Jerusalem because, it, 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 you know, persecution was happening. They're just like, okay, we got to pack up. We got to get out of here. We just got to leave. We got to get out of here. You know what they took with them? the scriptures. And so in that first century, right after, and all the scriptures were starting to be written and the copies were starting to be made, all of them, they were being tortured, they were being persecuted, they all started to go all over the world and they were taking the scriptures with them. All over. So copies of the scriptures were, being, were taken all over, 
spread all over the world. So let's just say it's the fifth century now and somebody goes, you know what? I don't like this Bible thing. Let's change some of the words in it. Do you know how absolutely ridiculously impossible that would be? Because if you change the Bible and you want to change something in the Bible and you want it to take, you would have to change it in every single one, wouldn't you? You couldn't just change it in yours, you know? Because it'd be like, hey, in my Bible, it says, you know, um, wives, you don't need to respect your husbands, and husbands, you don't need to love your wives. That's what my Bible says. And all the hundreds of thousands of other Bibles are gonna say what? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. It's gonna say that. So if you're going to change the Bible, you would have to change it in all the copies that were spread all over the world. And you have absolutely no idea where all of those copies were. And then they were translated also from Greek into Latin and Latin into Coptic. Into Coptic. And so there are scriptures and stuff all over the world. Today, right now, today, we have over 25,000 copies in Greek, Latin, and Coptic that we have found over the last 1,500 years. That's how much was spread all over the world. And guess what? When we sit down and we put it all together, yeah, some little variant changes, but for the most part, none one, not one article of faith has been changed over all these years. Well, but we, 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 can, we can have people change it now. We can have somebody collect all 25,000 25, of them and we can change it now. It's absolutely impossible to change it now. It's even worse now. You know why? Because the Bible is the number one best-selling book of all time. Now, it's not only those 25 Greek manuscripts you gotta change, you gotta change the Bible that is owned by every single person in the world today. Good luck with that. Nothing even comes close. Nothing even comes close. It's amazing what God has done. It's amazing what God did. I couldn't have come up with a better plan than that. But see, family, that's an important thing that we also need to understand. Is that a lot of times, I mean, we don't like persecution. And that doesn't feel good when people are persecuting you, making you feel bad, making you have to pack up your home and, and go, you know, God forbid, go have to stay and move in with your in-laws, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that would be horrible. <laughs> My in-laws aren't here anymore, so the in-law jokes can start again. <laughs> she watches on YouTube though, so. <laughs> but persecution doesn't feel good. But do you see how God, what man meant for evil, God turns it around and makes it good. That's how awesome and that's how faithful our God is. It's new every morning. 
The psalmist connects the forever. This is point number two, our faithful Lord. The psalmist connects the forever and settled nature of the word of God to the wonderful faithfulness of God. And in order to illustrate the faithfulness of God, he connects the faithfulness of God to creation. His faithfulness stretches out to all generations. One of the most important scriptures for us are these, all the God's love, God's faithfulness, God's mercy, his mercy stretches out to all generations. Why is that important to us? Because that means us. I'm a generation, you're a generation, we're all generations here. And God's mercy, God's faithfulness will be poured out upon all generations. Uh, uh, Spurgeon, he writes this, not only, is his faith, not only is he faithful to one man throughout his lifetime, but also to his children's children after him and to all generation as long as they keep his covenant and remember to obey his commandments. The promises are ancient, yet they are not worn out by centuries of youth. Use for divine faithfulness endures forever. He who helped us servants throughout thousands of years ago still confirms himself strong on behalf of those who trust him. So what does all that mean? It means that we saw how faithful God was to Noah. Was he not faithful to Noah? Was he not faithful to Abraham? He was totally faithful to Abraham. Look at the faithfulness he showed to Moses. He was faithful to Moses. He was faithful to David. So the same faithfulness that God showed them is the same faithfulness he will show us today. As the word is eternal, so is the faithfulness of God to his people. Isn't that awesome? Faithfulness of God to his people. What's more, he likens the faithfulness of God to the steadfastness of creation. The firmness of creation will reflect God's faithfulness. It's the firmness of the earth and its massive permanence that will stand as a picture of the faithfulness of God. We see it even more vivid here in Colossians chapter one, verses 16 to 17. Colossians chapter one, verses 16 to 17. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Why do I love that? I love that because as long as creation is being held together, Jesus is still in control. Oh, man. Oh man, I love that. As long as everything is still together, Jesus is still in control. And Jesus is still faithful. As long as creation is holding together, we can be sure that God is faithful. That's why every time, every time we see the sun rise, every time we see the sun set, we can be sure he is faithful. When we look at the oceans of life, we look at the trees in the field that's growing, the animals, wildlife, the fish in the sea, we see all of that. Every time we look at that, we can be sure that God is faithful. 
If you go to sleep without hope, just know this, as long as the sun rises the next day, God is still faithful. It's enough. Creation shows us just how faithful our God is. Nothing in all of creation escapes his rule. And so therefore we can be sure that the Lord is in control. Now I know when we look at culture today and we look at society and we look at all that stuff, I know that some of us may wonder, you know, sometimes I'd be watching the news and stuff like that and I'd be scratching my head going, are you sure you're in control, God? I mean, this is out of control. You know, and I get, I get that. I know that. But what's going to happen? What happened? The sun set. The sun rose again. The sun set. The sun rose again. Winter came. Everything got cold. But you know what? The leaves are going to grow back again. The grass is going to grow again. The sun is going to rise again. The sun is going to set again. And family, as long as that's happening, God's faithful. God's in control. And all that stuff that I was worried about all passed away. And it's not even a glint anymore. It's not even a worry anymore. And things are so much better in so many ways. You know, I tell people all the time about this. One of the things, times I, when, I, when I really meditated upon the scripture about God and creation and his faithfulness was when I was in Bible college. And I tell you guys this a lot. I was in Bible college and I had a girl that I was sure was going to be my wife. I was going to marry her and she was everything. I was just like, God, you know, you're such an awesome God. You, you, you opened my heart, you regenerated me so Jesus would be my Lord and thank you so much for bringing this woman into my life. And one day she just said, bye. And I was devastated. I was crushed. I, just, I never felt anything like that before. It was like, I, you know, I read about it. I see it in movies and stuff like that, but I never really experienced it. I never really felt it before. And it was just like, my heart was broken and I was just like, my life is over. God, why have you abandoned me? You know, and I'm just, I just couldn't remember just thinking and, and sitting there and going, I don't know what's happening. And then I, it wasn't just that, just everything just started to go bad. Life was going really bad. And it's just like, you know, this is, this is just not good. I just don't think I'm going to recover from this. How, this is, my life is over, it's ruined. Nothing could be, nothing could, that could be worse than this, you know? That's what I was thinking. And then a friend of mine sitting down, we were talking and come across, you know, these scriptures were about God's faithfulness with creation. And he was just kind of like, dude, Shane, I know you're upset. I know this is really hard, but you know what? Tomorrow you're going to wake up and the sun is going to be up again. And you know what? That's just going to show that God's still faithful. He knows what he's doing. And it was just like, that's right. God is still faithful. He's still in control. Everything is still okay. Life is going to be okay and life is going to be greater every day because that's how great our God is. 
Just didn't think I was ever going to recover, but that's what I was. Sunset, every time I looked at the sunset, I was like, yeah, God is faithful. I looked at the birds and I looked at the trees and I looked at all this stuff and I just was focusing on creation. I just kept saying, yeah, you know what? God is faithful. And I was just like, yeah, I don't just, I, yeah I'm just going to trust and I'm going to walk. And I was doing a lot better. I recovered, doing a lot better. Everything was fine. Then I'm just like, yeah, God is good. God is good. Then, you know, she's got a new boyfriend now. It's just like, God is good. God is fine. You know, <laughs> you know it's just all that stuff. And it was like, you know, and it was just a peace that eventually just took control and I was just okay. You know, and I'm hearing that they're possibly going to get married and all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, he had a lot more money, so it made a lot of sense. And, you know, um, <laughs> you know, you got to be, you got to be a, a certain woman, you know, with a calling of God in your life if you're going to marry a pastor. But I'm just like, you know, hey, everything's going to be good. Everything is going to be okay. And then I met, I went to go visit a friend of mine's church and I'm sitting there and I'm listening uh, or I'm listening to the announcements as they come in. And then this hot brunette (laughs) who was the daughter of two people that I knew, my in-laws. And she comes walking in and I was just like, The Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) And life is better. Faithfulness. And you know the thing is, after that, I'm just like, you know what, God, you know what you're doing. Just do your thing. Just do your thing. Because you know what? Now that I'm looking at things and look at the past, Thank God. Thank God he didn't listen to me. You guys ever feel like that? Thank God you didn't listen to me. (laughs) Thank you for not doing that. Tonight you may feel like there's no hope. But here's the thing. When you wake up in the morning and if the sun came up, God's still faithful. God is still in control. We see the world keeping its place in the universe and its laws remaining the same. We have assurance that the Lord will be faithful. If the earth continues, the spiritual creation will continue. If God's word is sufficient to establish the world, surely it's enough to establish and to give the individual a good, solid foundation in life. Things are going to be awesome. Things are being good. It's going to be way better than you think, way better than you can even imagine. As long as creation is enduring and the world is spinning with all the laws of nature intact, the seasons are on constant cycle, we can be sure that Jesus is still on the throne and will always be on the throne. This is his unfailing love. Psalm 117.2. Psalm 117.2. For his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it is God's plan to seek and to save that which was lost. And to this, for this we can rejoice And because the triune Lord is faithful, 
He, in eternity past, made a covenant to save fallen man. Man was fallen, Shane? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were all by nature children of wrath. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Our righteousness is like that of filthy rags, and the punishment is eternal, the eternal wrath of God. Now, that's sobering. It's the word of God makes it really clear, but that's sobering, isn't it? It's like a, a person was calling and just, you know, we're having a, I'm having a conversation with this individual and we're talking about destinies and all this stuff. And I said, here's the reality, family. In the end, there's two destinies. Two. Number one, your destiny is going to be experiencing the love, mercy, compassion, grace of the living God for eternity. That's destiny number one. Number two, you're going to face the wrath, the weeping and gnashing of teeth wrath of the eternal living God for eternity. There's only two. There's only two. There's only two options. Jesus makes it clear. There's no neutrality in all of this stuff. Didn't Jesus make that clear? You are either for me, but if you're not for me, then you're what? Neutral? No. You're against me. There's no neutrality. You're either for me or you're against me. No neutrality. No neutrality in all of this. And I know this isn't the popular thing. I know this makes, you know, might make some of you all uncomfortable with all of this stuff, me being so blunt like that. But I know it's not popular to be saying stuff like that. I mean, just think of how many sermons you think are actually being preached on hell today. It's not a popular thing. People won't do it. But it's the reality. Just because nobody's talking about it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because nobody's talking about it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's a reality, a sobering reality. Now the thing is, it's like, I know it doesn't seem as bad when you start to think like, oh, eternity is going to be us in hell and the devil is going to have a pitchfork and he's going to be poking me in the back for eternity. This is the thing that blows me away. And when you really, really think about it, eternity suffering the wrath of the devil or eternity suffering the wrath of the living God. Now, in hell, the devil is going to be tortured. The devil is going to be in anguish. He's going to be one of them. That's why the Bible says, what a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's for real. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. The two destinies, that's it. There's only two destinies. The Bible makes that clear. Two destinies. That's it. Boom.
there'll be nothing greater than an eternity. Nothing greater that anybody can, can imagine, that anybody could experience. There is nothing greater than an eternity with the grace and mercy of God. And let me say this, there will be nothing worse than an eternity of the wrath of the living God. That's why the Bible says, don't fear the one that can kill, kill the body. Fear the, one, fear the one that can kill the body and condemn you in hell. That can destroy your soul. Saying that's that's rough, man. Can, can we be saved from this? I don't want that. Can I be saved from that? Yeah, you bet you can. The Bible tells us. It's not a big secret. It's not a secret, you know, that, that we all don't know. It's all right there in front of us. It's not a secret. It's there. It is God's plan. God made a way. God is faithful. His eternal word declares Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. By his wounds we are healed. And family, the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These things are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and we will have life in his name. Repent and believe today. But Shane, I, 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 professed, I professed to be a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. That's okay. Repent and believe today. So one thing I say about Christians is Christians aren't those who don't always sin. Because we as Christians, we still sin. If you say you don't sin, you just lied, that's a sin. Christian isn't those that don't always sin. A Christian are those who always repent. And if we confess our sins, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of this is given to us by his special revelation. It's called the Bible, the eternal unchanging word of the living God. He is faithful. He will always be faithful. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.